What's going on? Welcome to NFL Friday. I'm Chris Bocci with Jackson Heil. It is a draft recap week. It is sort of a no man's land week. Uh, two weeks after the draft, uh, Jackson, it's good to be with you in what will be our final NFL Friday podcast. Oh, uh, a little emotional there. I, I don't want to go too too far down that road. Otherwise, otherwise there'll be tears on the podcast. But a lot to talk about Jets, Giants, et cetera, et cetera. There is, and I know I'm going to get emotional. You can already hear it in my voice getting emotional, I'll, although that is the allergies in me. But, um, yeah, no, it, it is it is a sad day because, I mean, let's be real. We've had some great moments on this podcast. I mean, I'll never forget us yelling about the Jets every time we'd be on this together. It'd be uncontrolled chaos. But um, there is a lot to talk about. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. we got schedule. Tim Tebow's back in the NFL somehow, some way, but um, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I mean, a long history of of just bashing the Jets because our four years here, they've never been good. Um, they, yep. they, you know, so just constant complaining. We had our Sam Darnold moment, which came um, in Alumni Court South. We watched him get taken <laughs> off the board number three overall by the Jets, and we were eager for a new quarterback. And here we are. Uh, um, our senior year talking about a new quarterback and that's Zach Wilson. And it's a good place to start because there's a new quarterback that we've got to talk about and got to get excited about if you're a jet fan. And, and I've been through about five of them. Um, is this one different? Does this one, I, I kind of know your view on it, but tell me why Zach Wilson to you is different from all the, the other ones who haven't gone so well. Yeah. I mean, first off we got negative Nelly in you over there. So I, I, I know what your viewpoint is and rightfully so we all, we uh, Jets fans have a right to be negative about their entire existence as a fan. But um, yeah, I do believe Zach Wilson is different um, for a lot of reasons. I, I, to be honest, when Darnold got drafted, and like that moment you were talking about, I kind of had to sell myself into believing he was the guy because I, I remember sitting there at number three and thinking this isn't like, like I, I wanted to go a different direction than Darnold at three. And I mean, I'll full disclosure here. I was, I was a Josh Rosen guy at the time. So that tells you everything you need to know about my talent as a football evaluator, as a quarterback. But, um, I mean, I, I think Wilson is different because I, I think the arm talent is much better there. And I mean, you look at what he did at BYU. Yes, you're not playing you're not playing teams from the Pac-12 and the SEC week in and week out. But I mean, the throws this guy makes on a nightly basis and a weekly basis, it, it it's outstanding. And the, the Aaron Rodgers comparisons have been there and which is unfair to him because no one is Aaron Rodgers. But, I mean, you look at some of these throws he's making on pro day, rolling out to his left, throwing across his body 60 yards downfield right into the breadbasket. Like, like those are throws that make you th- – like, it makes your your skin, like, curl up, and it, ma- it makes you get goosebumps and the hairs rise because you see the type of talent this kid is. And he was a riser through the draft, and that, that's something that encourages me because when you look at what happened with, with Sam Darnold, preseason I mean he was pretty much a lock to go number one and he ends up falling at three because Baker Mayfield rises Saquon Barkley even got taken over him and there were a multitude of quarterbacks that could have potentially been options at three for the Jets but I look at this draft and I said this before the draft happened in one of our preview episodes but I think the gap between Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson is much closer than the gap between Zach Wilson and the rest of the pack 
And to me, that 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 says a lot about Zach Wilson because we we've been talking about Trevor Lawrence as a transcendent talent and probably the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. So I'm all in on the arm talent. He's got pieces around them. As a Jet fan, I think there's a lot more reason to be excited this time around than there was a couple years ago when Darnold came. Yeah, I mean, it's my nature to to temper the, any optimism that I have. I mean, you're right that, that Wilson was a riser because it was really going to be Justin Fields at number two. At least that's what we thought. He fell. Um, it would be interesting to look at the success of risers versus fallers. You have a, a lot of quarterbacks over the years who just – have fallen further than expected. Darnold only fell to number three. He was expected to go one up until very shortly before the draft when we thought it would be Baker. But you had guys who have fallen in the past. I mean, Geno Smith was thought to be a first-round yeah. quarterback. He fell to the second total failure. Johnny Manziel was thought to be potentially a high pick. He fell to the end of the first round, a total failure. I mean, it'd be interesting to do analysis on that. Um, but with, with Zach Wilson, I mean, I, I have to sell myself. That's where I am. Um, I, I can't trust your analysis too much if you're a Josh Rosen guy. Um, <laughs> that's fair, very fair. So, but look, I mean, at this point, it's just about getting excited for him. I think what the Jets do that is really interesting is they trade up and get Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Vera <laughs> Tucker, the best guard in this draft, and, and there, there's a lot of excitement about him and the idea of having a left side of the offensive line with Makai Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker that is absolutely going to protect Zach Wilson. And maybe that's what's different about this pick more than the quarterback talent, because I still think Sam Donald has talent. We'll talk about him a little bit later when we get into the schedule. Um, but we know what he walked into in New York. We know what Zach Wilson's walking into. And here I am getting optimistic all again, but it's a better, it's a better head coach in Robert Sala. It's a better offensive line and it's more weapons. Uh, they don't have a running back, but they at least have somebody he can throw to. Hey, well, uh, here's I'll get even deeper into their draft now if we're gonna if we're gonna go down this route. First off, Elijah Vera Tucker, world class name, world class name, a family of world class names in that in that groupage there. But Elijah Vera Tucker, I, I mean, I love the pick. I mean, this guy was this is cl- pretty clearly the second best offensive lineman in this draft behind Penny Sewell, and to go up and get him and not have to give up that much, I- I'm a big fan of. Um, on top of the fact that at 34, you get a guy in Elijah Moore who a combine dream tore it up at Ole Miss this last year was pretty easily one of the best receivers in the SEC. I mean, you look at last year, it's, it's probably Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. And then outside of that in the SEC, it's Elijah Moore. I mean, and the numbers speak for themselves. He's runs a four, three We need a weapons for Zach Wilson if you're the Jets and Joe Douglas did exactly that. He goes out and gets Michael Carter too, um, who was an explosive runner at North Carolina in the fourth round. I think as a Jets fan, you have to look at this draft and it's a plus plus right now with the moves they made, because the biggest thing we talked about with Darnold was he never had the help and he never had the surrounding pieces to be successful. Look what Douglas has done. Not only in this draft, but last draft, going out and getting Mekhi Becton. He's got Vera Tucker. Now you got the left side of the offensive line figured out. And now he's got weapons, too, to work with. I mean, we talked about Elijah Moore, but you go out and get Corey Davis in the offseason. You got Jameson Crowder, who may end up getting traded. But, I mean, to have a three-summit wide receiver of Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, and Denzel Mims going forward, I think you got to be very encouraged with 
what Zach Wilson's going to have to work around in week one. And you know that with Joe Douglas, the priority number one is going to be the offensive line and continuing to build that. And he's got the most two important pieces, arguably, and maybe right tackle is a little more important than left guard, but you got the entire left side and you got Zach Wilson's blind side figured out. And, and that's critical for the jets going forward. So I, I think you have to love their draft. I, I think it's a plus plus, like I mentioned, and, I think you have to be encouraged as a Jets fan looking at what Joe Douglas has done in his first couple of years of the job. He found his quarterback now. He got a pretty decent deal for Darnold, who we're going to talk about. They're going to meet in week one in a little bit. And you now have the left side of the offensive line presumably figured out for the next 10 years. You can't ask for much better if you're Joe Douglas. And we knew this was going to be a work in progress, but we're slowly starting to see the pieces built together. And I mean, it's so clear that this is an astronomical upgrade from the Mike McCagnets and the John Idzik's of the world that were just complete tire fires from start to finish. It's true. And, and the Jets teams who did have success in our lifetimes, that would be 2010, 11, they had excellent offensive lines and they had Debrickashaw Ferguson on the left side. They had Nick Mangold at center for a very long time, among others, Damian Woody, um, and I'm missing some others um, that that were the absolute core to that offense. So that's what you hope that you're building here. Uh, before we go to the schedules, a quick note on the Giants. They go to Kadarius Tony. They trade back to Chicago's pick. Chicago trades up and takes Justin Fields at number 11. The Giants go back to 20 um, and are able to pick up some draft capital, and they grab a receiver. I think for the Giants, it, it, when you saw it with Kenny Galladay, they get Saquon Barkley back. It's been all about putting Daniel Jones in a situation where he can finally have success, take that next step. Um, and, you know, we've been, you know, uh, a broken record on this podcast for, for many weeks now, yeah. just talking about how this is the year for Daniel Jones. He gets another weapon from Florida and, and it's time for him to show what he can do. Another explosive athlete too. I mean, we talked about Elijah Moore and what he can do. I mean, Tony is as shifty as he gets. And I actually think that, the Giants were bailed out by the Eagles trading up a spot ahead of them to get Devontae Smith because I actually like the value they got better at 20 getting Tony. And this is not a slam on Devontae Smith whatsoever. I mean, he was the best receiver in college football last year by a pretty sizable margin. I think he's going to be a great slot guy for Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. But the fact that the Giants were able to move back to 20, get a guy they really pursued in Tony, who I think is going to be really good at the next level, and also stash a first-round pick for next year – in the trade with Chicago when they move up nine spots to get fields, I think they got better bang for their buck than they would have gotten just simply staying and taking Devonte Smith at 11. So I, I think for Dave Gettleman, you have to like what he did in this draft. He traded back a couple of times, which is something he had never done in his entire career as a general manager coming into this one. And I mean, their draft expands far more than Tony, but I think, a good spot to focus on is that first round move back because if I'm a Giants fan, I'm not too upset about losing out on Devontae Smith. Yes, it stinks that he stays in division and goes to Philadelphia. And I know that the reports are the Giants were pretty pissed off that that happened, um, especially with Dallas being the team to trade out of that pick. And they end up getting Micah Parsons trading back, which I, I really like the move there. But man, I mean, I, I think that you have to be really optimistic with what Daniel Jones has to work with going forward. Because like you mentioned, now you get Tony to go with Galladay, Sterling Shepard, perhaps Golden Tate, maybe has a decent year. Like Daniel Jones has weapons this year and the offensive line is going to improve even more. So 
the year three, year three for Daniel Jones, it has to be the big step forward. We usually see it with rookie quarterbacks. It goes from year one to year two is the big jump. We didn't see that big jump last year from Daniel Jones. And it's why I'm a little concerned with him going forward because it's the same thing that happened with Sam Darnold and we expected it to happen in year three, but it never did. So this is, I'm not going to say it's Daniel Jones's last shot to really explode, but the, the turnovers need to dwindle a significant amount. And we, I think we need to see an explosion from Daniel Jones that the Giants are going to commit to him as their quarterback going forward. And the great thing about their draft this year is that they have an extra first round pick next year if things don't work out with Daniel Jones to potentially move up in the draft and find a quarterback then. So I actually, I really like where the Giants are at and the spot they are in going forward, even if Jones isn't the Jackson. Guy. New York is a place that is just filled with excuses for quarterbacks. <laughs> I mean, how many quarterbacks have come in here and we are basically falling over ourselves to find excuses for these guys? Oh, the offensive line is weak. Oh, he's got a bad right tackle. Uh, the running backs banged up. The receivers aren't healthy. The head coach is terrible. How many times have we heard that? Not that they're invalid, but at a certain point, they run dry. The The well just runs dry on the excuses. This is it for excuses for Daniel Jones. If he can't figure out the fumble situation, then he's got to pick a new sport because you got to be able to hold on to the football uh, or at least a new position that doesn't require holding the football. Uh, the quarterback position requires holding it on every single play. So we'll, we'll get into some expectations for the Jets and the Giants, but let's go over the schedules because that's kind of yeah. the news of the day. The schedules dropped yesterday. Let's start with the Jets, and they have an intriguing schedule. Week run right away um, is worth noting. They're in Carolina against the Panthers, and this is primed to be Sam Darnold, uh, starting quarterback for Carolina, and Zach Wilson, starting quarterback for the New York Jets. And I, I sort of have it – uh, ingrained in my head. I just have the, 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 the vision in my head right now of Sam Donald throwing for 442 <laughs> yards, four touchdowns, no oh, interceptions. Man. I'm on the uh, same page. And the Panthers stormed to victory. Um, and, and just, it would just be total jets. So that's immediately how my mind is thinking about this. Well, not only that, but you know Robbie Anderson's going to have six catches for 277 yards and three touchdowns in that game as well, um, knowing we watched him go in favor of Brashad Perriman last year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you you know, like the NFL loves to clown the Jets, and the entire league does. The fan bases love it too. And, and this is the exact scenario where you do it, and it couldn't be more of a perfect scenario for Donald. He's literally hot off the presses of going to Carolina. He Chris, he could be terrible the rest of his career. Terrible. He may not throw for another touchdown in his career. But you know he's he's showing out in week one, especially because it sets up perfectly again because you talk about the Jets trending in the right direction. I truly believe that. But, I mean, when you look at the holes of this team, I mean, the secondary is a disaster right now. Outside of Marcus May, the cornerback situation is still in complete question mode and complete flux. And – Yes, they got some pass rushers, which I'm excited about. And I, I truly believe that building the front seven should be priority number one. But I mean, Donald's going to have an opportunity to have a field day here if, if the Jets can't rush the quarterback, which has been a problem in the past. So, I mean, this is a dream setup for Carolina. I mean, you know Matt Rule's going to have him pumped up to play. You know Robbie Anderson's going to be jacked to play against the Jets. And the worst part is I, like, I am genuinely rooting for Donald, too. I, I, I do feel like – even though you mentioned the well of excuses, which I think is definitely true. 
if we're being honest, he really never was put in a good position to succeed. And, and that happens when your head coach is Adam Gase. You can talk about the personnel all you want. When you got a moron running things for you, you're never going to be in good shape to succeed. So I am rooting for Darnold. I, I, I think he genuinely, like, he gave, he gave a crap about succeeding here. And I, I think he gave everything he had to the organization. It was just never going to work out with, with the roster construction. And unfortunately, the lack of success that Darnold had in the position that the Jets were in. So I am rooting for him. I, I, hope, he, I hope he tanks week one. But, I mean, everyone and their mother knows that's not going to happen. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I, I also, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to cry the guy at river, but I, I, I hope he has success in Carolina. They're in a different conference. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily affect me. So I hope he has success because I, I thought he always kept his head up here. He always handled himself with class. He never threw anybody under the bus when he had yeah. a right to, not a right to, but he had a reason to at least. Um, so I give him that, but I, I hope that, that he, that he, you know, shows up as the Sam Donald that we knew in week one uh, i wouldn't mind that uh, missing open receivers throwing interceptions under pressure <laughs> so looking at this lovely <laughs> yeah what, looking at this schedule otherwise another game that sticks out to me cincinnati week seven sort of right in the middle of this year you get to face joe burrow i mean otherwise you, you, you know you're looking at patriots twice you're looking at uh, bills twice dolphins twice but the Broncos are is a winnable game in week three. The Titans is tough in week four. Falcons, you want to win that game in game five. Um, looking at the back end here, see the Texans, Eagles, Saints, theoretically all winnable games. Um, Bucks in week 17, that is. There are 18 weeks in this schedule, which is – let me say something about that. That really just messes me up because I'm so used to saying – They'll go 10 and six this year. They go nine and seven, seven and nine. But now I have to fix the math on that. There are 18 weeks in this season. Uh, the NFL wanted a couple extra dollars because they needed it. Um, they shorted the preseason. So there's one preseason week now. Um, and then it's an 18 week season with a buy. So very bizarre there. But the Bucs in week 17, so the second to last game, that is against um, the former enemy or maybe the still enemy, Tom Brady. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not excited to see him. I, I know that's for sure. I mean, you're talking to a guy that bet against the Bucks pretty much every week in the playoffs this year to no success whatsoever. And it's just a, it's a weird schedule because obviously the 18 games is a big factor, but because of the game against Atlanta um, in London in week five, right. the Jets opted to go with with the bye week there and – so they're playing 11, what's it, it's 12, maybe 12 straight games to finish out the season without a bye. I, mean, I don't think it's too significant because, yeah, you're only playing one game a week. But I, I think the back end of the schedule does get pretty difficult. And, and for a young quarterback who's going to go through growing pains, it's that could be tough. I mean, like like you said, finishing, finishing a season against Tampa Bay – and Tom Brady and a really good Bucks defense that brought all their starters back. And then having to go to Buffalo week 18 to finish out the season, which seems like is happening every week, every year now is the Jets finish out the season against Buffalo in some capacity, but it's, it's a tough, I think it's tougher than the strength the schedule leads on. I don't know if you feel the same, Chris, but I mean, we we're talking before the show, you mentioned tied for 19th and strength the schedule, which means it's 
a little bit easier than the mean. To me, the schedule looks a bit more difficult than I think the numbers let on. And, and maybe that's because I think the Pats improve this year and having to play them twice. Um, the the whole finish of the season, I think you have a lot of young and up-and-coming teams. I, I'm a believer in what Cincinnati is doing, and I think getting Joe Burrow back is going to be big. I'm a believer in what the Dolphins are doing, of course. Um, I think New Orleans is going to be better than people think. Jacksonville, you got to play Trevor Lawrence on the back end of the schedule, which – on paper isn't too difficult of a game, but who knows? So I don't know how you feel about it, but I mean, I look at the schedule with the early buy and a lot of young and up and coming teams that maybe didn't finish too well last year. And, and theoretically the jets are supposed to be one of those teams as well. I think this schedule is a little more difficult than the numbers led on for those reasons. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. And a lot of it obviously depends on the development in year one of Zach Wilson, but I think there are going to be a lot of bumps in the road here. And I think obviously the year to look to is next year for this team to start being fully competitive with a year to Zach Wilson. But I think there are going to be some growing pains and a lot of that comes down to the schedule that this team has to go through. I, I agree with you. I, I, I think more than it's a, a tricky schedule, I think it's a, it's a tricky Jets team. I, I don't know what this Jets team is going to put out this year. I agree with you. I don't think the timeline is this season. I think that there are a lot of position groups on this team that leave a lot to be desired. Yeah. Um, the Panthers could beat them in week one. Patriots could beat them in week two because I, I think the Patriots also take a step up. I, I think they're going to be competitive. Um, you, you should beat the Broncos unless they go out and get Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the Titans would be very tough. The Falcons you should beat. You know, and then it's New England. Uh, you should beat Cincinnati. They have the Colts on Thursday night football. I'm not going to read through the whole schedule, but just looking yeah. at some of these teams, I, I, anybody can beat the Jets. Um, the Jets potentially could beat most of these teams. Uh, they should be able to beat the Eagles. They should be able to beat the Saints, theoretically. Uh, and they should be able to beat the Dolphins. But, you know, I I, I know we're giving you – You're quite low on the Saints. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know. There's no uh, <laughs> no Drew Brees, no? Yeah, no Drew Brees, but I think they're better off without him, personally. Might be. Might be. It'll, it'll be interesting. I, 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 I think that's what it comes down to. It keeps that whole, that whole locker room together, so we'll see. Possibly. I like Robert Sal a lot. Look, this is a Jets team that won two games last year, so am I going to tell you that, that they're going to rifle through this schedule? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. The Giants, on the other hand, I think have a have a have a bigger mandate. They've got to find a way to win nine games, right? I mean, they've they've got to be yeah. in the playoff conversation. And you look at their schedule; they open against Denver. That should be a nice opening game. Then they go to Washington. Then they have Atlanta. So out of the gate, it's three games that should be very winnable. You want to win at least two of them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But again, I, I look at their schedule, man, and I'm like, I, I I think it's another situation where it's tougher than it looks, to be honest. And I, I again, I could just be saying this because I'm just a negative person in general. But I mean, you look at the front end of their schedule, and we'll go through like like Denver. I, I I'm a big fan of Denver and what they're doing. I think getting Teddy Bridgewater is a big move for them, and, and they were really missing the quarterback last year, which is why they faltered. But at Washington's a difficult game against that defense with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Atlanta should be a win. I, I, I will definitely say that. But with a new coaching staff, Arthur Smith there, you get Matt Ryan back on track. Who knows? And you got to go at New Orleans, 
at Dallas. You host Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Carolina is a winnable game, but then at Kansas City, Vegas, and then the bye week. I mean, I think realistically, like you said, you got to be above 500 by the bye for them. Mm. But I mean, like there, there's a lot of losable games on the schedule. I mean, Vegas is going to be good next year. Kansas City's Kansas City. Got to go to the the dome, even though we're talking about the Saints and how losing Breeze may hurt them. Like that, the dome's a tough place to play. Dallas gets Dak back. The Rams are good. They got a quarterback now at Washington. Like there's a lot of difficult games on this schedule. And then the back half of the buys, I think, where they can really make up some ground. And yeah. that's that's where they got to take advantage. And it starts off tough, obviously, going to the defending champs to take on Tampa Bay. But then Philadelphia, Miami, Chargers, Dallas, Philadelphia, Chicago, and the football team. And and that's all – a lot of those are home games within the division. So, I mean, you got to take advantage there. But I'm kind of in the same boat as the Jets here where I think it's more difficult than it lets on. But – like you said, I think the Giants are in a much more, are in a much better place to face these type of teams, and also it, it helps having the division twice, especially in this division, which is just a pile of mediocrity left and right. Um, I, I think it's more difficult than it lets on, but I, I'm with you. I think it's got to be a nine or ten win season, or people are going to start losing their jobs. And I think it starts with Daniel Jones. I think that trickles upwards towards Dave Gettleman. And if a new GM's coming, Joe Judge, you got to think, is also going to be on the hot seat if if this team isn't a playoff team next year. So it, we'll see how it goes. But I think keep East number one, it's a good start. And and that's a cliche saying, but you got to get to the bye week at least five and four. And then you got to work up from there. And, and, you know, people losing their jobs, if it doesn't go right, it, you just start a whole new cycle of this. And, and, it's just a constant thing. I, new head coach, new yeah. GM, new quarterback, new head coach, new GM, new quarterback, just on and on and on again. The Giants have gone through it now. The Jets have, of course, gone through it a number of times. So on the same page about what these teams are expected to do now, what do they actually produce? Do you want to give us a prediction? Your your, your last NFL Friday, our last NFL yeah. Friday, Jets, Giants, we won. I mean, I'll go through the Giants real quick, like schedule-wise. I'm going to give Denver a win. I'm going to say loss to the football team. Winning the Falcons, loss to the Saints, loss to Dallas. That's two and three. I say lose to the Rams, two and four. Beat the Panthers, three and four. Lose to Kansas City. They'll beat Vegas. So I'll say, I'll say they're four and five at the bye week. And then I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say nine and eight for them. I, I think. I'm not entirely sold on this Giants team yet. And, and I think a lot of the big questions that we talked about that comes down to the quarterback, Daniel Jones. And I, I haven't been sold on him for a while. A lot of his issues, he does it in different ways, but they remind me of Donald where you see throws he makes and plays he makes with his legs that are like, this guy can be a real quarterback in this league. But then it, it's it's the constant snap of a – you snap your fingers and he turns the ball over like that. So for that reason and – for others, including the schedule they got to face. I'm going to say nine and eight. I'm, I'm not sure that's good enough to get them in the playoffs. Uh, it may be, but I, I think the football team's better. I think the football team can get to 10 wins this year with Ryan Fitzpatrick, at quarterback, which is crazy to think I'm talking about Fitzpatrick, like a franchise quarterback, but it's just such a distinct upgrade from where they were last year with having to deal with Dwayne Haskins and not to say Alex Smith was bad. He was the best story in football, but to have a stabilizer in there who almost led the Dolphins to the playoffs last year. Um, I, I think nine and eight is a fair assessment of this giant schedule. And I think it's a borderline playoff team. 
I'll go down on you one game. I'll say eight and nine. Again, it's it's very strange to say an eight-win team that's under par. But that's what I think here. I think Washington is better. It may very well come back to that. That might come down to that final game in week 18 between the Washington football team and the New York Giants. And I'm just really not a big believer in Daniel Jones. Maybe I'll eat my words. I don't think so. I've seen enough to be able to make a judgment. When I look at the Jets here – um, I think the Jets here, here's the thing. I think the Jets hit their mark. I think if they win seven games, uh, and that, what would that make you seven and 11, wait, seven and 10, right? Seven and 10. Yeah. Seven and 10. I think you're, I, I, I don't, I think you're pretty content with that. I don't think you're, I, yeah. I don't think you're uh, upset about that. Now, if it's six and 11, you're, you're, you're getting lower than you want to be. Um, but if this team wins seven games, you're happy. And, and I'm, I'll sit here and say that I think they will. I'm surprised with your optimism. That's a, that's a rare look at Chris growing from well, where he's I, been negative. Well, I mean, here's what I'll say though. About this. You rightfully had the Jets as being atrocious last year. Yeah. And I was the one that was optimist. I was saying potentially five or six wins for that team last year. And, and you were, you were, you stopped me immediately when we did our preview for that. But, um, yeah, I, I here's my thing with the Jets. I, I think that I think that the Jets are going to win some games they shouldn't this year, but they're also going to lose some games that they should win, and and that's the growing pains of a young quarterback and a first year head coach. So I I think seven is a really good target for this team. I think even six, you're not too disappointed if they're competitive and they lose some close games. But I, I I'm going to agree with you actually, and and that's that's rare on this podcast. We don't tend to agree much. Um, when it comes to jet stakes, just because of our passion and aggression in different directions. But I'm going to say I'll give them six and 11, but I think, and I think that's okay. I think you, you might be a little disappointed there, but like I said, I, I think with given how poor this defense is going to be, especially in the secondary for the most part, even with Robert Sal and how much I love him and, and what he brings to the table and the all gas, no break. Um, I think six is a good target for this team with, with seven being a win for this season, just because like I said, the first year quarterback, you're working them into a new offense, even though you got weapons for him, it's still going to be a growing process for this jets team. And and with everything they did this off season and last year, getting some pieces in place, there's still a lot of gaping holes on this team. And they got some difficult teams on the schedule. Like we talked about. So I'll, I'll go six and 11 with seven and 10 being an optimistic, um, optimistic goal for this New York Jets team. So I think there's a lot to be excited about though. And and that's, that's what's most important. The record isn't too important to me this year. It's, it's, are they doing the process right? Because the process hasn't been there in years past, but if we're doing numbers like we have been, I'll say six and 11 or seven and 10. All right. So you've got us on the record and you can, you can hold us to our word about our predictions. It is all gas and no breaks for the New York Jets. We'll see yeah. how it comes out. We'll, we'll leave with one more story here. What's going on with Tim Tebow? <laughs> uh, he's back in the league. Um, joke. I a good laugh here because Tim Tebow says he's coming back. He's playing tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've signed him up. Uh, you know, this, this, this saga just continues on. I got to find his age. He's got to be 40 by now. <laughs> I, the, the amount of stops that Tim Tebow has now taken – um, from from quarterback in Denver to quarterback in New York to I think he tried to be a fullback in New England, and then he said I'll be an outfielder for the New York Mets, and 
Mike Messina giving us the, the fact check. He's 33 years of age, which is not too old to, to, to get into a sport. We just saw with Atlanta, that prospect who came up for the Braves after yeah. many years in the minor leagues. And it's a great story. So, so don't get me wrong. You can be old and still do it. I mean, who just won the Super Bowl? 43-year-old, I believe, in Tom Brady. So the age is not the thing. The thing is that the, the ability lacks. It, it's sort of been proven. Um, but he gets another chance. This time he wants to try a tight end. Your take. It, it's absurd. It's really absurd, this move, for a lot of reasons. But <clears throat> one, you're Urban Meyer. You just drafted Trevor Lawrence. You got a new quarterback. You got a new face of the organization there. And now no one cares about it because all the storylines are going to be about Tim Tebow every single week if he makes one catch, if he even gets on the field half the time. Like, come on. Like, I I get it to an extent because I I actually see where he might be going with this to potentially take the pressure off of Trevor Lawrence. But if we're being honest, the guy's in Jacksonville. What pressure has ever come from a singular player going to Jacksonville at this point? You go, you, the bar is so low for Trevor Lawrence to clear at this point that if this was a move based on public image and then trying to take a little pressure off him, come on, the guy can handle it. The guy's been the face of college football for the last three years, always in the spotlight at Clemson, winning a national championship, getting to another one, losing in the semifinals last year of the college football playoff. Like, this guy's been here. We They don't need the storylines and, and the press of Tim Tebow every single practice because you, you know how it's going to go. We, we saw it with the Jets, and obviously it was a bigger story then, but he's even more of an absurd story now because, like you said, he tried to go play baseball, which, which honestly good for him for getting to double A at one point and actually being able to put the ball in play after not playing for so many years. That That's a pretty unbelievable athletic feat. But from Tim Tebow's perspective, like, what are you doing at this point? Like, why do you want to get back into the game at age 33? Like, dude, go talk on television. Like, you're you're gifted with fame and you're gifted with image and you're gifted with talent on television too. Like, why not just go that route at this point and start instead of risking your body every week, potentially trying to play tight end, which the Jets put him in a couple of spots as a tight end. And he was an atrocity there. So really weird decision by Urban Meyer. I get he's linking back up with his college coach from his days at Florida, but I don't think this move makes much of any sense for both sides. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that he's going to have success playing tight end for the Jaguars. It really is. It's hard to imagine yeah. that he'd be on the team. Um, but, but that's part of the reason why he in an impressive story is that he continues to come He's like a fly. He, he's a fly that just keeps flying around. He, he won't. He, he won't quit. He, yep. he won't. He won't. Quit. You know how many people have told him that? Just, 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 just go do ESPN. Go, go do, you know. And he's like, I want to find a way to play professional sports. You got to tip your cap for that. Um, but uh, I, I'll join the chorus of people saying, <laughs> um, I, I don't think that group is wrong. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, it's it's. Uh, it, it, you know, it gives me a good laugh, but here's a guy who is, who is a, a pretty impressive guy. Who's definitely the nice guy that he's made out to be. I'll give him that. Yeah. I'm with you. And it, it's just a weird story. Like I, I, I honestly thought it was a joke when I was reading it. Like it's one of those things you just like, 
I mean, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's one of those guys like in college that you think has been there for like 16 years. He reminds me of a Perry Ellis from Kansas where he just keeps coming back and you, you can't get rid of him. And it's like, like, like how are you seeing this guy again? It feels like he's been there for 10 years, even though he's literally just a normal senior. Like it just, it's one of the stories that makes no sense. Tim Tebow feels like he's been around for 36 years. Meanwhile, he's only 33 years of age. And honestly, like that's, that's pretty young considering the situation he's in. And he's, he's young in football years too, because he hasn't played in a while. So the body might be fresh. I'll hold out optimism for him because he's an easy guy to root for given all he's done. And obviously his years with Denver were great, but I'm going to do the, the famous ESPN Monday night football segment. Come on, man. Like <laughs> what are we doing here? We got to be better than this. We'll leave it there. Good Tim Tebow conversation. And that's where we'll leave it for NFL Friday. Um, period, the end, talking Jets, Giants, the, the next guys who, who come after us, including Mike Messina, who's on the call with us. Um, yeah. Carry the torch, continue talking Jets, Giants every week of the season. Um, it was a real pleasure doing it with you, Jackson. Such a fun time. We have one more show on Saturday, so I'll hold the yeah. tears. Uh, but any last words uh, before we, we uh, say goodbye to NFL Friday? Yeah, of course. I mean, first off, you mentioned him, but Mike, Mike Messina, big shout out to him because he's, he's the guy that's been constantly nagging every week i think that's the right word he always, he's always texting me to get make sure i'm doing the show and i'm not even thinking about these type of things and i need that every week because otherwise i will forget to record the podcast so first off shout out to mike um thanks for everything you do for us it doesn't go unnoticed and i'm excited to see where you take this program next year because i don't know when i'll be able to talk to you again about this type of stuff but um i appreciate all you do but I mean, NFL Friday is a weird podcast for me because football is by far the sport I know the least, but it's one of the sports I'm most passionate about as a fan because you really grow up with football every Sunday. And um, Chris, I, I know we've had some heated debates and we've had some, some, some great moments on this podcast, but I mean, it, the passion, the passion for Jets football specifically with me and you, I mean, it goes a long way and um, I'll certainly miss talking about it with you and, um, on the air. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll have our dialogues about when, when Zach Wilson throws his first interception that the world is going to come collapsing to an end. But um, it, it's it's truly been a pleasure to be a part of this. And obviously it's not our last show together because we do have the senior show on Saturday, but um, it's a surreal moment to be done with this. So I, it's, it's been a pleasure being able to be a part of this with you, Chris, and so many others, of course. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed being a part of this podcast and I'm going to miss it going forward. Me, me as well. It, it, it is just, it is just a fun time. It's a quality time. It's always, it's always good talking Jets, and we won't stop talking Jets. We won't stop commiserating over the Jets. We, we actually, we need those group therapy sessions uh, to get through being a Jet fan. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's it for NFL Friday for Jackson Heil, Mike Messina, our producer, who we appreciate. I'm Chris Baccia. This is NFL Friday. We'll see you next week, maybe in future weeks with with some new hosts. So stay tuned for NFL Friday, and thanks for listening.